Welcome, everyone, to the Rhetorical Devices podcast. I'm Alex, here with Daniel and Maiwan. Hello, guys. It's Mount Tarazi here, and today we're going to establish a greater context of rhetoric writing techniques and the arts of it, utilizing articles by former athlete named Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And um, his articles inscribe various types of rhetoric uh, devices uh, that like express and demonstrate his like skills in this, and they kind of convey his argument and we're going to be diving into the ways in which he, um, you know, articulates these uh, devices. Hope you guys enjoy. Um, I'll be doing, the, I'm Mayal Tarazi. I'll be doing the first article um, of that Kareem Abdul-Jabbar made, and that's called um, The Importance of Athlete Activists. It essentially, his argument in his article, um, utilizing rhetoric devices, is that, like, um, athletes should be able to, like, articulate um, about political ideas or any, like, um, topics that arouse controversial sentiments and uh he just uh conveys that like athletes shouldn't be confined to their like um athletic um aptitudes they should be able to like art you know um work or um work towards you know a different um standpoint of their life they shouldn't just be like uh, known for um you know playing soccer well or basketball and they should be able to like um talk to others about ideas that concern um you know a greater context of society and like another the way he does this is by um you know rhetorical devices and although he has a lot of them um there's going to be two that are going to be emphasized because they're imperative to his argument and um one of them i and i quote here in his um, article he states athletes are um, relegated to a locker room ghetto and told to keep their politics as private as a jockstrap and in this um you know piece of uh, text the rhetoric device that like emerges from this is a simile and um criminal jabbar articulates the simile you know when comparing the means in which athletes have to keep their political reservations themselves so like the jock strap is just um keeping you know tight on them so it's you know it's confining them to the respective uh, uh aptitudes of being like you know good at sports and um the, yeah these are the similes to convey that the degree in which athletes are confined to the person um you know their personal uh, perspectives of politics or any other issues that um you know might make others um you know, things like you know an election presidential election or um something with like um the government i guess yeah and, um yeah. so adding on to my one's point i thought this um simile also had some pathos appeal as there's very strong language like the ghetto and like the jocks uh strap those are very um those are very like pathos because like, they like very evoke a lot of emotion. You kind of visualize the jaw, the jaw, um, jock strap underneath the chin, like locking up uh, the person's like mouth so they can't say anything. And like ghetto is like kind of that secluded, like part of society, I, I guess, that kind of like is off limits. So that really evokes a lot of emotion in the reader. Yeah, I agree with Daniel's point. Like um, the fact that they're, you know, confined to their, you know, their respective states of being good at sports, but they can't really, you know, articulate anything like, you know, about uh, politics is kind of like, it, it like uh, uh, establishes like this emotional appeal to it because, you know, they're really good at sports and, you know, they're really influential to other people. But when it comes to like the most important stuff like politics, or I guess important to like, you know, government, like other people, because they're represented by governments, like bodies of governments. So when they're like, when it comes to those type of topics, they're not allowed to like, uh, you know, state their, um, you know, respective thoughts and um 
adding on to that, another like really, really uh, fascinating uh, device um, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar utilizes, um, and I quote right here, he states, um, whose vocation makes them an expert on all social or political matters? As we've been during the presidential campaign, even the candidates aren't experts, perhaps especially. And in this um, piece of text, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar articulates a, a hypophor, yeah, that's how you say it, hypophor component of uh, rhetoric speech. And so essentially he like raises a question, like confronting who has the authority to tell athletes and others, just other people, individuals good at sports that they cannot speak on their platform, you know, about like political issues or, you know, issues concerning like um, a large scale of like a society. And he kind of just immediately answers this question by saying that, you know, no one does, like no one has the authority to do that. And the immediate like um, answer to this question uh, because it's actually a really um, powerful question because it's it's really deep. Like, you know, it's concerning, like, who has the authority to speak of things that, like, um, concern everyone? You know, that's actually pretty deep. That's what I think, at least. And, you know, the immediate answer to that just conveys that um, no one does. Not even presidents, or sorry, yeah, presidents um, and other political leaders because they themselves are, you know, corrupted um, to an extent. So that's really what he's trying to uh, convey. And lastly, um, just addressing like the whole article in the context of who made it Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is a um and I quote this he is a uh, six-time NBA champion and league most valuable player so with that context he himself is an athlete and he probably most likely and most plausibly has you know context of being like um misrepresented and um, when it comes to these you know political topics so he him, he's actually uh, con- uh, conveying this ethos component of rhetoric speech because he has his reliability to himself because he's an athlete and he actually knows how it feels to be you know in society uh, when attempting to um, express your own uh, political uh, agenda or just narratives so I found that really really uh, I found it really interesting yeah um, so going on to the next article I have um, don't ban fraternities address the bigger problems by also. So the main um, argument that Kareem wants to make in these fraternities is that fraternities aren't bad. They offer a lot of benefits to a lot of notable um, people who, um, like some pres- like a lot of the presidents have actually went through this program and benefited from them as they become president. So they like release stress, they encourage community service and create friendships for like their, their whole lives. Um, however, he also wants to make the point that they do need to have regulation as the individuals who do encourage these like alcoholism, sexism, and racism kind of destroy the reputation of fraternities for everyone as a whole. So it kind of just like there's the few bad apples kind of just like destroy it to, for, for like make the whole batch kind of bad. Um, and people see fraternities as bad. So one of the uh, rhetorical devices that he uses is sarcasm. Um, and, um, an HBO show known as The Wire, uh, a detective is examining like a crime scene where a man known as Snot Boogie has been shot, and one of his friends is telling the detective like going over um, he's going over how the he played this game with him, but like um, over and over, and um, the pot uh, when the pot of money got like too big, basically Snot Boogie would always run and take the money. So then the detectives responded with, well, why'd you let him in the game repetitively over and over again? To which the friend replies, got to, it's America, man. 
And then here's Kareem speaking again. Yeah, it's America, man. The land of the freedom of speech, the freedom to gather, the freedom to make a fool of yourself, where we punish individuals for crimes, not whole groups. So here Kareem uses sarcasm to poke fun at like the line of reasoning in which the TV show character uses. This leads to his next point where he like, well, he's listing out all these freedoms. You can kind of hear that sarcastic way he's like saying it that our society kind of abuses these in a way. So they need limits on this because if they keep them abusing it, it would kind of lead to further division. And this point is proven effectively because it gives that author that um, tone, as I said already, um, that kind of bounces in your head. It kind of, you kind of hear it. He's, he's like that tone is like stuck in your head. So that has a greater impact and that kind of sets him up for his whole major argument in the article of like, yeah, well, um, because these frats have taken these freedoms too far, they they definitely need like supervision to to like um, stop the few people that are causing their reputation to go bad. I think it's really cool how throughout all of Kareem's articles, you can see his prominent writing style through the use of sarcasm, and then he also um, he also whether if whenever he's talking about a small issue, he relates it to the bigger picture and how it impacts other things at play. And that's what I really like about his style. Yeah, that was actually really interesting. And I like how he emulates um, that like culture, actually, you know, American culture, you know, specifically like perpetuates like um, back to when um, Daniel just articulated that, like, you know, sexism, alcoholism outweighs like they like those cons outweigh the pros of fraternities because like fraternities like they uh, apparently they uh, they help like they establish like a healthy dynamic of like art- you know interacting with others, but um, Kareem Abdul Jabbar just argues that like um, American culture in general just perpetuates those like um, the bad cons and that um, to make a bigger impact or to like you know to inhibit the bad things to prevent the bad things we need to like um, we need to fix American culture and uh, the use of the HBO show The Wire just conveys that American culture saying that oh. It's, uh, you know, it's America, you know, freedom of speech and, you know, that, um, you know, that talking, that talking, that standpoint just uh, conveys that, oh, um, the culture, the way we just, uh, the way we operate, you know, the mechanics of this country is, it's kind of just, it's feeding, you know, it's actually just growing this, uh, this negative uh, culture we have here. So I found that really interesting as well. And along with uh, Daniel's and Alexander's points. Yeah, I completely agree. That's actually a way better way of explaining it. Um, so the next, he also uses another rhetorical device, um, a simile, um, in quotes, for some, this romanticizing the story is symbolized by frat parties, where booze and bad behavior flows like the river of urine on the back lawn. So here, Cream weaves the simile in, as well as a couple other devices to really, like, paint the love of the, fr- of the like, the bottle of alcohol in, like, frats. It, like, kind of raises that a bottle of alcohol in, like, a pedestal and like gives it like kind of that elegant kind of nature in it as it's like kind of controlling all of them basically he also integrates alliteration as he um connects the two terms booze and bad behavior and they kind of flow like a river of urine so they're like flowing interchangeably like a river and at the end he ends the simile with a sense of irony as he instead of comparing it to like a flowing river he compares it to a flowing river of urine on the back lawn which is like it's ironic because frat groups like would show this type of behavior they would literally (laughs) pee on um the back lawn of people's 
uh, of people's houses while they're drunk. And um, that really like is very like effective simile. And it sets it up for his main argument of like more restrictions on frats because this, the alcohol kind of influences them to do these bad things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I found it really amusing that he would say like urine at the back of a lawn, you know, it kind of made me, um, you know, laugh a little bit, but um, I I actually liked um, the way he put like the river of urine on the back lawn, like flowing and that addiction of like flowing just means that it's like a continuum, like uh, the urine, which like is a metaphor for like, you know, uh, bad behaviors like alcoholism like those uh component those factors that you just stated in the beginning of this um talk of this uh, article and um this uh, continuum this continuous stream of like uh, urine kind of just represents like uh, the american culture perpetuating like i said before um these bad um aspects of society just you know keep going like you know uh, forward into um you know society so that's actually really interesting and yeah yeah all right and then we will continue on here to our final article um, which is named Cornrows and Cultural Appropriation, The Truth About Racial Identity Theft. And in this article, Kareem highlights the unfortunate practice of the majority, which really is only the white majority, um, stealing elements of black culture, such as clothing, hairstyle, singing, and more, which has now become known as cultural appropriation. And he argues that this majority is simply, un- unfortunately and simply unable to understand the awful effect this appropriation has on the minority cultures and they end up becoming distilled with the majority and they lose what makes them unique. And as long as, as long as it doesn't personally impact them, they will continue to fail to see the impact this has on others. So one, one metaphor, which is a rhetorical device he uses to show this is when he says cornrows are just the tip of the follicle, but because so many white celebrities have adopted this hairstyle, it has become the public platform to discuss the broader topic of cultural appropriation. So Kareem here is cleverly comparing the attack on black culture to being a hair follicle. And when you think of a hair follicle, although there's multiple interpretations to this, you think of something very small and it's just to go to show that this issue is so overblown and no one really, no one really focuses on it and the awful effect it's having. Um, Daniel, I believe you had another point you wanted to bring up on this. Yeah, so the way I interpreted the tip of the follicle, I thought of it as like kind of uh, just like the starting point, the, the tip of the hair, basically in the whole hairstyle. Like, so you're starting with this only, this minuscule like issue but it's going to like, it's going to continue and it's going to like this cultural appropriation is going to continue to something bigger and it's becoming a bigger and bigger problem if people don't address it like right now. Yes. And to, to continue, the big mainstream brands, fashion brands are often selling and encouraging these styles to the majority and they're earning a bunch of profit off of it, which can be really frustrating to the minority because they're... Their styles and their ancestors' ways are being sold off, and it can be really frustrating. He uses he uses a um, a metaphor along with diction to to show this when he says it's kind of like wearing the teeth of your pillaged enemy as a necklace, and it's really powerful to think of of someone walking through a village and stealing everything like that. And you know, teeth are something we use on a daily basis, and to compare these cultural aspects to teeth. It shows readers that these these cultural aspects are really important to the minority, and by stealing them, we're doing them a great disservice. 
Yeah, I found that really interesting as well. And um, additionally, like he states that, like you know, um, I guess like white Americans or this American culture is like stealing um African like the hairstyles. I heard like clothing. It's like a pathos component. He you know um he induces that you know that uh, pathos component in a uh, rhetoric speech because they're essentially just like stripping away the inherent um you know factors of African Americans and like you know their um I guess their culture so like taking that away and like making it different into their um you know american culture just takes away what they made and like what they cherished so that's kind of like i mean that, that's not kind of it really is like the path those um you know um being uh conv- demonstrated by cream of jabbar right now because uh you know it's an emotional appeal to um others you know that they're they're you know the african like you know culture is being taken away by others in foreign uh, lands and that their like uh, culture isn't being cherished enough, and it's just being taken away perpetually. And I think that's it, you guys. So thank you everyone for tuning into our podcast, and we hope to catch you next time. Thank you. Guys. Thank you. Bye.